red, yellow. Wait, red, red leather, yellow leather. Red, <laughs> leather, yellow. Peter Piper picked the pick up puppets. Peter Piper picked the pick up puppets. What? Peter Piper picked the pick up puppets. She sells she shells down by the seashore. Peter Piper Peter Piper Peter Piper picked up a pickled pepper. Peck of pickled peppers. Peck of peck of pickled peppers. Peck of pickled peppers. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. I think we're ready. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Red yellow. Red yellow, red yellow, red yellow. Red yellow leather, yellow leather leather. Leather, 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 leather. There's a thing I do for the kids where I'm sitting on one of the, the little foam climber things. So I'm closer to their level. I pretend to sleep and then I scare them. And they love it. They laugh so loud. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then they're like, more, more. And then they do the sign language for more. Uh. They're so fucking funny. Oh my gosh. Welcome to Beer and Fear. <sighs> my name's Paige. My name's Zach. What episode is it? I was going to say it next. Fine. Welcome to Beer and Fear. This is the 60th episode? <laughs> yeah, it's episode 60. Yes, welcome to the 60th episode of Beer and Fear. My name is Paige. My name is Zach again. <laughs> Still Zach. Still Zach. Checked in. We're still good. 60. Another milestone. Very uh, mild intro for the, a tenth. 60. 60. We're doing jazz hands. Mm-hmm. All right, actually, those aren't jazz hands. These are jazz hands. It's like excited. I don't know. Or measuring a foot long from Subway. Yes. A lot of them. <laughs> Our episode is on haunted dolls. Did she claw you? Yes. Excellent. She's comfy. Haunted dolls. Um, I'll be honest. My research was kind of rushed this episode. Mm. Why but, is that? Because um, I, I just I was busy and I. <laughs> this podcast isn't important to you in any way. <laughs> I understand. But I think I found some interesting things to talk about. It's just I wish I had put a little more effort into it. I want to mention something, but I don't want to spoil what the beer is. So remind me that I need to mention something. And okay. I'll try and hold that in my head, the thing I need to mention. Okay. After we get to the beer. You know how I am at remembering things. I know. So we're screwed. This may or may not happen. Exactly. Casoda? Remind Paige. Thank you. Uh, how was your week? I'm just trying to remember things I'm gonna I keep did. eating. These are sweet potatoes, right? Yes. Interesting. Sweet potatoes with... Uh, I'm going to keep eating these. Sweetened condensed milk and maple syrup. And um, I would ask what they're called, but let's see. Mexican sweet potato with... Potatoes, boil them, mash them, <laughs> put them in a stew. Stick them in a stew. The yeah. real hero of our story, <laughs> Samwise. Camote. Mm. Camote. Uh, yeah, apparently it's Peter Piper picked a pack of Pretty peppers. popular? Yeah, that. In uh, Mexico. And you can get it on the street like you can get a hot dog in Chicago or a pizza in New York. Interesting. You know what I really like? Hmm. Fair food. I love, what are they? Roasted, what are the, roasted and sugared, they're the nuts. Are Funnel they, cake? No, the nuts. The nuts. I don't know if they're pecans or... Oh, yeah, they're uh, pecans. Pecans. Sure. Yeah, pecans. Yeah, they're like, uh, they got sugar and stuff on them. Yeah. Those are so good. Delicious. Uh, I haven't had those in forever. The camote thing makes this sound. It's like a subway coming to stop. Yeah, it's this, uh, this thing that he pushes around. And it makes that noise. Why? And that's how you know there's camote, camote outside. Camote. It yep. sounds like someone's getting into a car accident. <laughs> like the ice cream truck, but a lot more 
brutal. Uh, my week was pretty chill. Uh, yesterday, I went to a new gastro pub mm. in in St. Charles here in oh, town. I saw your pictures on it's, Snapchat or video. Or whatever. Yeah, it's it was called the Office. Mm-hmm. I, it's it is called the Office. It's there still people, called that. Were there people dancing? Yes, that was a different place. Oh, okay. but uh, the Office is a gastro pub in St. Charles. Mm-hmm. Pretty decent food, decent drinks, and then we were going to check out uh, a speakeasy, which is oh. right down the street at the Arcata Theater. Um, and it's upstairs on the third floor. And it was the speakeasy that Jack wanted us to check out. Oh. I don't know if you remember, like, forever ago. He was like, we should check out. There's a speakeasy in St. Charles. I would check forever it out. ago. Yeah. I remember weird stuff. But I went there. And we took a seat. Mm-hmm. And there were a bunch of people dressed up, dancing. And it looked like a lot of fun. And we just wanted to chill and have a drink. And... Then everyone finished dancing. It was the last dance. And then they it looked like everyone was pecking up, getting ready to go. And we were still sitting there. And then they turned the lights on brighter. And we're still sitting there like, what is happening? I think I think they're closed. And then a waitress comes up. It's like, has anyone ever like stopped by like to check on you guys? They're like, no. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. How long, like, how long have you been? Just five minutes. It's like, oh, my, I'm so sorry. Well... Uh, we're actually closing. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, Google Maps said you were open until 11.30. It was 10 o'clock. It said you were open until 11.30. So she was like, well, yeah, the kitchen's closed. Um, but I, if you want, I can try and get you a drink. See if you, if you, would you like something to drink? So she brought us a menu, and then she came back and was like, I'm so sorry, but the bartender closed up the blah, blah, blah. So we pretty much just sat down oh. and watched people dance for five minutes and then left. But... It was okay. Uh, I think it was kind of trying too hard. It was oh. it was themed. Oh. Um, it was an old timey themed place, and gotcha. it had this whole. I mean, it looked cool. That had an old uh, Charlie Chaplin room where everything on the wall was Charlie Chaplin themed. Uh-huh. Bunch of pictures and things, and then they were showing a silent movie in oh. this little tiny room. It was pretty pretty cool. Interesting. But yeah, it's not really not really what I expected it to be. It looks fun, but not not my vibe. Mm. Um, there's a speakeasy in Chicago called The Drawing Room, which I've been to a few times, and it's oh, it's perfect. Uh-huh. I've been dying to go back there. There's a few speakeasies out here, and so far, well, 0 for 1. Hmm. But besides that, nothing else notable. Um, oh, it was my mom's birthday on November hmm. 5th. I shipped her some stuff. Got her a nice gift. Um, renewed my license. Got a scratch to fuck on my hands. From my kitten. That's about it. Hmm. How about you? Work. So my family. How are your uh, folks doing? They're good. They're good. Yeah. Dad's golfing. He's Still be- golfing. become a liquor connoisseur and a cigar Hell connoisseur yeah. out of nowhere. I'm upset because uh, the weather's getting yucky and that means no more golf outside. He's doing it inside. But they yeah, went to golf. like, I don't know if it was a virtual range. Mm-hmm. Or something. I think he went to that with his friends. Yeah, my dad's he had been his, to a few. He of had those. his last outdoor game. Um, I don't know if it was this week or last week, um, but he's good. Nice. Mom's doing her thing. Any fun stories from work? I don't really like to talk about the kids on yeah a podcast. You know, I know it's like an, it's not like they're going to be like, oh, I know where you work. I don't list where I work on anything. No, I don't have a LinkedIn. I don't put it on my Facebook. I put yeah. very limited information out there. I try not to. I don't see a point in sharing all that information. Publicize my stuff either, but I'll tell who needs to know. I don't see why my Facebook yeah. friends need to know yeah. where I work. Listen up, strangers. Yeah, exactly. Um, I still like my job. Had a bit of a cluster cluck of cluster cluck, yeah, of um, them not giving me proper paperwork to complete stuff to basically work, work there. there. So I have to rush to get all that done, and it's a very extensive list, and it's not like easy to check off things. Like mm. I had to do, I, I mean, I mentioned that I work at a school, so I, DCFS is involved, so I have to do these things to you know be certified to be there. Mm-hmm. And I've never worked at a school before, so I, I don't know that. I, yeah. DCFS wasn't even in my mind. It wasn't on my radar. Yeah. So, like, I have – I had to get training. So, I last night, as soon as I got off work, I went home and had to do, like, three to four hours of certification training on, you know, shaken baby syndrome, sudden infant death syndrome, mandatory reporting, like, depressing things. 
Jesus. But the cruel reality of our lives. Be prepared for anything. SIDS is scary. <clears throat> it is. Very scary. And the fact that there's no known like cause for SIDS is very upsetting. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. It's sad. But yeah, just work, live in life. My leopard geckos are good. I haven't talked about them in a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're thriving. Thriving. <laughs> I miss them. They're good babies. I should hang out with them more. I miss your dogs, too. Mm, I get to see them tomorrow. I'm going to see them tomorrow instead of Sunday. I don't know why I didn't ask. It throws off my whole thing. I was literally just thinking on my way to work today that eight hours out of the week of seeing my parents is not enough time to see my family. I don't even get to see my parents that often. Not enough time. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's life. Say lovey. Say lovey. Our beer. Is from Bent River Brewing Company. A new one. Mm-hmm. Bent River Brewing Company was conceived by Tim Coster of Koski Homebrew Fixins uh, in April 1993. It opened its storefront in downtown uh, Moline. Is that Moline? Yeah, Moline. In, in Iowa? Yeah. In the fall of 1996. Moline's in Illinois, but it's like all almost Iowa. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the Bent River Bar opened to the public without brewing equipment in that location. It would be a couple of years before the first keg of our American Pale Ale flowed from the beautifully polished Bohemian, um, how do you say it? B-R-A-U? Brow? Brow House? Yeah, Brow House. Uh, copper Kettles. Hmm. In 2009, local restaurateur and patron of Bent River Brewing Co., Joel Krogman, close to Frogman, joined the team to expand and protect our brewing traditions and transform the Moline location into a fully operational top-notch brew pub complete with a full bar, lunch and dinner restaurant, and big outdoor patio. Mm. Located in the heart of the National Registered Historic District of Moline, oh, Illinois, yeah, this turn-of-the-century building with its decorative stone arches is a leader in the rejuvenation campaign spearheaded by the Moline Center Main Street Organization. A lot of organizations listed here. Mm. To perpetuate the restorative vision of the Moline community. The brew pub's uh, fake aid facade was renovated to enhance its brick style after the Italian Renaissance while retaining its handsome architectural aesthetics and structural integrity. A dropped bracketed uh, cornice? No clue. I don't know. Completes the facade's unique features. The Rock Island Brewery Bar, Special Events Room, and Distribution Center opened its doors in spring of 2012 to meet the demand of Bent River Brewing Company's explosive fan base and retail accounts. With a brand new fermentation system and bottling line, Bent River quickly expanded beyond its Mississippi River Valley roots and can be found in stores, bars, and restaurants across Illinois, Iowa, and Missouri. Looking at photos of the brewery online, it looks pretty dope. Bent River annually produces nearly 10,000 barrels of handcrafted beer. Attention to detail yields yearly accolades and rewards at festivals and brew competitions locally and throughout the Midwest, including a bronze medal at the world-renowned Great American Brew Fest in 2007 for our Mississippi Blonde. Hmm. Delicious food and great brews aren't the only things in ready supply for our fans. They offer brewery tours year-round, uh, full-service catering, and live music. Our beer is a... Sweet potato ale. What in the world? <laughs> it is one of our most highly anticipated seasonal beers. Sweet potato ale is a medium-bodied wheat beer that captures the best flavors of fall. In parentheses, not a pumpkin beer. Good. It has a score on Beer what? Advocate. It scored an 82 on okay. Beer Advocate, so that's good. Good. Its ABV is only 4.81%. Okay. It is considered a fruit and field beer. Mm -hmm. It is ranked 560 out of fruit and fields and ranked 45,240 overall for its score. Okay. Wow. This medium-bodied American wheat ale is brewed with sweet potatoes, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, allspice, and cloves. Taste and enjoy with us one of our favorite things about fall. Hmm. That's unique. That's a new and different. Mm. And you're eating sweet potatoes. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> that's not the thing I wanted to tell you, though. The thing I wanted to tell I'm you. Glad you remembered. Yes. The thing I wanted to tell you was 
that I got this beer from someone and it was my last beer that I had that I wanted to try with you that I got from this someone. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I didn't know what topic to pick. So I was like Googling things that I was like, you know, what could kind of tie into sweet potatoes, I guess. Oh, yeah. How does this tie in with... Yeah. Because dolls are sweet. (laughs) 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 I don't even know how I landed on haunted dolls. I I don't remember. (laughs) But I'm I'm not kidding when I tell you I typed in to Google... Sweet potato mythical. <laughs> that is what I wanted to tell you. I typed in sweet potato mythical creature. And what'd you find? Nothing. Was there a sweet potato with like bat wings no. and goat's horns? Nothing. And... Nada. That's upsetting. Yeah, it tried though. Well, I like the tie in. Some dolls are sweet. Yeah. Some haunted But these ones aren't. ones aren't. Ooh, watch out. Okay, I'm sorry. Do you want me to get the beer? That'd be weird. That would be weird. I'll get it. Are you sure? I'm sorry, Bob. Yeah, let me... Because I got to get up and take, take a picture and do all this stuff anyway. Oh, but you were so comfy. No. Go, go to Paige. She doesn't hang out with me. She just lets me pet her. Hi, sweet Bob. <laughs> she took your spot on the couch. If you look on the side, <clears throat> it says, get bent. Oh, yeah. I don't want to open it. You don't open it? No, I don't do good with bottle openers. I always mess up like the first two times. I'm just like... Okay, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Give me the bottle. I want to smell it out of the bottle. Oh, there's a lot of nutmeg in that. Smell it out of the bottle. It's very strong nutmeg. Mmm. Very strong, yeah. Mm. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah, it smells like a fall ale, but different. Ooh, that is good. Very smooth. Hmm. It's pretty damn good. So I taste... I see where they're going for. This, this sweet, I mean, it was brewed with sweet potatoes, so that that is what they're going for. Mm-hmm. But it's like... It's not like they tried and failed. It's just I get the sweet potato sort of like as an afterthought. Yeah. But it's spicy, smooth... Sweet potato e, mm-hmm. I can see it, and it's different than a normal October fall beer. Yeah, that is delicious. Mm. I really like that. Yeah, very pleasant. I wish you had more than just I that one bottle. <laughs> I think I got to put this at number one. Really, I liked it that much. Thanks for trying it. I like that I'm eating sweet potatoes. I make this complicated. I'm gonna put this at a number two, so everything else needs to drop down. Okay. And put party pill at number one. Number one. All right. So our cumulative best beer is this one. Cumulatively, this is our best beer. I gave it a one. You gave it a two. Mm. Uh, runner up was party pillow. Um, you gave it a one. I gave it a three. And then the third ranked beer was Dr. Frankenstein by Metro. Uh, You give it a four, I give it a two. Our worst beer was Brewers Reserve Bourbon Barrel Scotch Ale (laughs) by Central Waters. Uh, Strangely enough, that one was had a score of ninety five world class and was our worst uh, ranked beer. Second worst was Four Chord Wonder by Pollyanna. Sorry, Pollyanna. But there's another 10 in the books. Maybe we'll stop at like 100. Just stop at like a cool 100. I, uh, again, my research is kind of lazy. But I'm going to read a little bit from an article that talks all about creepy dolls. And uh, read a little bit from Wikipedia. Because Wikipedia actually has an article on haunted dolls and what they are. Mm -hmm. It's a very short article, but some good supplemental research. Uh, so this is an article, Smithsonian. Smithsonian. This is a Smithsonian magazine article by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. Pollock's Toy Museum is one of London's loveliest small museums, a creaking Dickensian warren of wooden. Dickensian. Dickensian. There you go. Of wooden floors, low ceilings, threadbare carpets, and steep winding stairs, housed in a two-connected 
in two connected townhouses. Its small rooms house a large, haphazard collection of antique and vintage toys and dolls. Dolls with sleepy eyes, with staring glass eyes. Dolls with porcelain faces, with true-to-life painted ragdoll faces. With mops of real hair atop their heads, with no hair at all. 150-year-old Victorian dolls, rare dolls with wax faces. Dolls with cheery countenances, dolls with stern expressions. Sweet dolls and vaguely sinister dolls. Skinny Dutch wooden dolls from the end of the 19th century. Dolls in traditional Japanese or Chinese dress. One glassed-off nook of a room is crammed with porcelain face dolls and 19th century clothing, sitting in vintage model carriages and propped up in wrought iron bedsteads. What a variety of dolls. As if in a miniatured, miniaturized, overcrowded Victorian orphanage. Some visitors to the museum, however, can't manage the doll room, which is the last room before the museum's exit. Instead, they trek all the way back to the museum's entrance rather than go through. It just freaks them out, says Ken Hoyt, who has worked at the museum for more than seven years. He says it's usually adults, not children, who can't handle the dolls. And it happens more often during the winter, when the sun goes down early and the rooms are a bit darker. Hmm. It's like you'd think they've gone through a haunted house. It's not a great way to end their visit to the Pollock's Toy Museum, he says, laughing, because anything else that they would have seen that would have been charming and wonderful is totally gone now. A fear of dolls does have a proper name. Pediophobia. Sounds very close to... Yeah. Interesting. Classified under the broader fear of humanoid figures, automatonophobia. The fear of humanoid figures. It's like mannequins? Uh, yeah, any humanoid Isn't figures. Isn't there like a specific fear of mannequins, though? Um, there's uh, puppophobia, which is fear of puppets. I don't know. There's, there's probably a fear a, for everything. There's probably a mannequin one. Automatonophobia. There's a name for an attraction to mannequins. What's that? I don't remember. I just oh. know the name for it. Okay. Like all those people that have, like, the the uh, clothing store mannequins in their home that you see in horror movies? There's also the, uh, there's also a term for attraction to inanimate objects. Like those people that marry, like, the Eiffel Tower. I gotta look these up now. You've I'm read just... the articles about people that have married the Eiffel Tower, y- yes. though, right? There's, like, a lady who was famous for, like, moving to Paris and, like, living, like, where she could see the Eiffel Tower. And has pictures of her with the Eiffel Tower. It has, like, a bunch of Eiffel Tower merch. Objectophilia. Yeah. Or object sexuality. Fear of... Man, that would make romance so much easier. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Automatonophobia. Such as mannequins, wax figures, statues, dummies, animatronics. Any human-like figure. But most of the people made uncomfortable by the dull room of Pollock's Toy Museum probably don't suffer from pediophobia, so much as an easy-to-laugh-off, often culturally reinforced unease. Hmm. I think people just dismiss them. Oh, I'm scared of dolls, almost humorously. I can't look at those. I hate them, laughingly joking. Most people come down laughing and saying, I hated that last room. That was terrible, Hoyt says. Dolls, and it must be said, not all dolls, don't really frighten people so much as they creep them out. And that is a different emotional state altogether. Dolls have been part of human play for thousands of years. In 2004, a 4,000-year-old stone doll was unearthed in an archaeological dig on the Mediterranean island of Pantelleria. Can you just imagine a child running around with a stone With a stone? (laughs) Like they punched a face in it? Yeah. The British Museum has several examples of ancient... Egyptian ragdolls made of papyrus-stuffed linen. Over millennia, toy dolls crossed continents and social strata, which were made from sticks and rags, porcelain and vinyl, and have been found in the hands of children everywhere. And by virtue of the fact that dolls are people in miniature, unanimated by their own emotions, it's easy for a society to project whatever it wanted onto them. Just as much as they could be made out of anything, they could be made into anything. I think there's quite a tradition of using dolls to reflect cultural values and how we see children or who we wish them to be, says Patricia Hogan, curator at the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, and associate editor of the American Journal of Play. For example, she says by the end of the 19th century, many parents no longer saw their children as unfinished adults, but rather regarded childhood as a time of innocence that ought to be protected. In turn, dolls' faces took on a more cher- uh, cherubic, cherub, cherubic, oh, the word like a cherub, cherub. Cherubic? I guess, yeah. yeah. I feel like people would know what you're saying either way. Angelic um, look. There's this movie. <laughs> Sorry for all my commentary. Mm-hmm. There's this movie that's uh, a Mark Wahlberg movie. 
that came out, I guess, relatively recently. Um, little Marky Mark mm-hmm. and his little funky bunch. Um, that's about uh, parents who do not want children and then they decide to foster children and they end up adopting these children. It's a cute movie. Mm. But there's a young girl in the group of children. They foster three kids. Mm-hmm. There's a young girl who they choose to foster. There's a scene where they are in a store and they get to the checkout line and there's a Barbie doll. And this little girl wants his Barbie doll and she throws a hissy fit over it and the mom is like, you just got a Barbie for Christmas. And she's like, you got me, this is a skinny Barbie. You got me a fat Barbie. I was like, what? What is Barbie ever fat? A fat Barbie. Has there ever been a fat Barbie? There's, um, I don't remember what she's called, but there is a doll that was designed to be more anatomically correct to, uh, I, I don't know if it was teenagers. I think teenagers or something hmm. more anatomically correct, um, as to what a kid would look like, I guess. There's I don't a, remember her name. There's a curvy Barbie. People don't make fat dolls. Fat people are brushed aside. No, because that's not the standard of beauty. Mm-hmm. It used to be. It used to be a symbol of wealth. This is, this is curvy Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> so curvy. So curvy. Dolls also have an instructional function, often reinforcing gender norms and social behavior. Through the 18th and 19th century, dressing up dolls gave little girls the opportunity to learn to sew or knit. Hogan says... Girls also used to act out social interactions with their dolls, not only the classic tea parties, but also more complicated social rituals such as funerals as well. In the early 20th century, right around the time that women were increasingly leaving the home and entering the workplace, infant dolls became more popular, introducing young girls into a cult of maternal domesticity. In the second half of the 20th century, Barbie and her myriad career options provided girls with alternative aspirations. Yeah, Barbie's had a shit ton of careers. It's crazy. While action figures offered boys a socially acceptable way to play with dolls. So dolls without meaning to mean a lot. But one of the more relatively recent ways we relate to dolls is is as strange objects of, and this is a totally scientific term, creepiness. Research into why we think things are creepy and what potential use that might have is somewhat limited, but it does exist. In 2013, Frank McAndrew, a psychologist at Knox College in Illinois, and Sarah Krenke, <laughs> a graduate student, put out a small paper on their working hypothesis about what creepiness means. Uh-huh. The paper was based on the results of a survey of more than 1,300 people investigating what creeped them out. Collecting dolls was named as one of the creepiest hobbies. Hmm. So it comes down to uncertainty. Let me butt in again. I'm so sorry. Did I tell you about the story about when I was a child in Tennessee and we were house hunting? Um, And my parents, well, my mother and my ex-stepfather, took us to this one house with them, my sisters and I. And we went to this one room. The door was closed. And there was a large four-poster bed. And everywhere in the room were antique dolls. Everywhere on the surface of the bed, on the shelves, on the floor, in a bassinet, in a little um, carriage. And in that room was also a door and stairway to the attic. So fucking creepy. Oh, yeah. Who designed that option? Did you option? go up there? Oh, yes, we did. Hell yeah. Woof. Were there more dolls? No. Oh. This is very creepy. That's Who perfect. said, let's fill this room with dolls and make sure it's the room right next to the attic for added creepiness. Yes, I love it. So it comes down to uncertainty. You're getting mixed messages. If if something is clearly frightening, you scream, you run away. If something is disgusting, you know how to act. But if something is creepy, it might be dangerous, but you're not sure it is. There's an ambivalence. Being in a state of creeped out makes you hypervigilant. It really focuses your attention and helps you process any relevant information to help you decide whether there is something to be afraid of or not. Dolls inhabit this area of uncertainty largely because they look human, Mm. but we know they're not. Our brains are designed to read faces for important information about intentions, emotions, and potential threats. However much we know that a doll is likely not a threat, seeing a face that looks human but isn't unsettles our most Mm. basic human instincts. They look like people but aren't people, so we don't know how to respond to it, just like we don't know how to respond when people don't know whether there is a danger or not. Mm. The world in which we evolved, how we process information, there weren't things like dolls. And you can't talk about creepy dolls without invoking the uncanny valley, the unsettling place where creepy dolls like their robotic cousins and before them, the 
automatons <laughs> reside. The Uncanny Valley refers to the idea that human human react humans react favorably to humanoid figures until a point at which these figures become too human. At that point, the small differences between the human and the inhuman, maybe an awkward gait, an inability to use appropriate eye contact or speech patterns, become amplified to the point of discomfort, unease, disgust, and terror. But before the 18th and 19th century, dolls weren't real enough to be threatening. Only when they began to look too human did dolls start to become creepy, uncanny, and psych- psychologically, and psychology began investigating. Doll manufacturers figured out how to better manipulate materials to make dolls look more lifelike, or to develop me- mechanisms that make them appear to behave in ways that humans behave, says mm-hmm. Hogan, pointing to the sleep-eye innovation of the early 1900s, where the doll would close her eyes when laid horizontally in exactly the way children don't because that would be too easy for parents mm-hmm. but you ever see those dolls where their eyes are open and as soon as you lay it down i've had those dolls oh, that's crazy i was a girl growing up technology aliens that's where the unease comes with dolls they look like humans and in some ways move like humans and the more convincing they look or move or look like humans the more uneasy we become i wonder where the technology of dolls is at now now that i'm a you know 26-year-old adult female. I don't You'd probably know. Probably, like, read your mind. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know why. Like, they've incorporated, like, a magic eight-ball option into the doll <laughs> in her eyes. You shake her. You just her. shake it. <laughs> it says, come back later, ask again. Damn it. At Pollock's, the dolls that people find particularly creepy are the ones that look more lifelike. These are also the ones that have begun to decay in eerily inhuman ways. The dolls don't age well. Anytime that a doll really tried to look like a human being and now is 100 years old, the hair is decaying, the eyes don't work anymore, so it looks as much like a baby as possible, but like an ancient baby. It's also exactly the kind of thing easy to exploit in media. Some doll makers blame Hollywood films for the creepy doll stigma, Hmm. and there's no doubt that movie makers have used dolls to great effect, but the doll was creepy well before Hollywood came calling. In the 18th and 19th centuries, as dolls became more realistic and as their brethren, the automata, performed more dexterous feats, artists and writers began exploring the horror of that almost immediately. In the 20th century, creepy dolls became more actively homicidal, as motion picture technology transformed the safely inanimate into the dangerously animate. Some evil dolls still had an evil human behind them. So there's like the Twilight Zone's murderous Talkie Tina, which I never saw that episode of the Twilight Zone. Uh, The evil clown doll from Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. And of course, Chucky. I hated that doll. I don't remember. Not Chucky. The Poltergeist doll. Oh, the clown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and then Chucky from Child's Play. I want to know who sat down and pitched Chucky. It'd be interesting to read, yeah, the history and how that came to be. They have a, do you see they have a series for Chucky now? It's got like a TV series. I saw that. Yeah, interesting choice. They have a TV series for Scream, too. They have a TV series for fucking everything. Fucking everything is everywhere now. That's because it's hard to come up with new ideas, <laughs> so let's beat a dead horse. Most recently, devil worshippers inadvertently turned a smiling vintage doll into a grinning demon in Annabelle, a film in the Conjuring franchise. Mm. If you think about them, most dolls are emulating a human figure, but they're missing one big thing, which is emotion. So they're shells. It's a natural, psychological, and justifiable vehicle for demons to take it over. Sure. If you look at a doll in its eyes, it just stares. That's creepy. They're hollow inside. That space needs to be filled with evil. (laughs) The creepiness of dolls sometimes adds to their appeal. Some doll makers are actively courting creepy, such as as this reborn artist who sells monster babies alongside regular babies Hmm. or the popular and scary living dead dolls line because the fact is people like creepy the same mechanism that makes us hyper vigilant also keeps us interested we're fascinated and enthralled and a little on edge because we don't know what comes next but we're not in any way paralyzed by it we're more drawn into it which I think is that drawing in or almost being the, under the spell of wanting to find out what comes next is what good storytellers exploit and maybe good doll makers too. Hmm. Um, and then just briefly on Wikipedia talks about haunted dolls. So any haunted doll is like uh, it's a handmade or manufactured doll or stuffed animal that is claimed to be cursed or possessed. According to Linda Rodriguez McRobbie, our author of this article that I just read, 
The concept of malevolent dolls gained attention in the 20th century when film and entertainment technology was able to realistically portray safely inanimate as dangerously animate, as we talked about. And it mentions those uh, examples. And you're going to talk about a few of those. I am. The popularity of films and entertainment about haunted dolls has resulted in the sale of dolls claimed to be haunted on eBay, Amazon, yeah. Etsy, and many other sites. There's a girl I follow on TikTok that uh, actually finds haunted dolls. She claims to find. I don't know the, um, what's the word I'm looking for. Like authenticity? Yeah, I don't know the authenticity or the... Legitimacy? Yes, thank you. Uh, legitimacy of her actually finding these dolls. It could obviously just be staged right. for TikTok. Yeah. Um, but she finds... If she does, I don't know. Mm-hmm. These little, like, what look like antique little dolls. They're very tiny. Like, they just show up. And they always have, like, a little, very old paper note. Like, the paper looks very aged. Mm. It's interesting. It's but pretty dope. She records, like, instances of the moving, and I don't know. It's very weird. Would you ever buy one? Oh, God, no. I wouldn't invite that into my house. I'm superstitious. I'm not religious, but I am superstitious. I agree. I don't think I I would have the huevos. According to Catherine Carlson of The New Yorker, sales listings are often accompanied by claims of paranormal phenomena associated with the doll. Carlson wrote that such dolls bring with them a certain fascination that a regular doll does not, since a haunted doll requires proof, or at least enough of a backstory, that a prospective buyer can embrace the possibility of the supernatural. According to folklore professor Libby Tucker, ghost tours, ads for haunted hotels, and other monetary transactions build on pre-existing beliefs and narratives. The fact that people buy and sell ghostly materials takes nothing away from these materials' value for folklore researchers, which is considerable. Yeah, I don't think I could, I could buy one either. That, fuck Mm-mm. that shit. You won't see me with a Ouija board. You won't see me with a haunted doll. I want to do no, a Ouija board. No. I bought Eric a Ouija board, but it was like from Target or something. No, but. sir. You will not see me doing that. I want. I you want need, if you are ever going to do it, you need to do research. I want to be as unhaunted as possible. Well, you're risking a lot <laughs> with a Ouija board. But that just sounds like fun. Yeah, it's fun until you think you're talking to your great dead aunt Bertha. In reality, you're talking to a Shigarath, the demon of hell. Not Bertha. Shigarath. <laughs> from Skyrim. That's all I got. I'm going to talk about two things. I have an example, and then I have one other thing. I wanted to tell you something, and now I don't remember what. Um, So I'm going to be talking about a couple examples of haunted dolls, Mm -hmm. famous haunted dolls. Hell yeah. So the first one, obviously, Annabelle. So Annabelle obviously became famous with the release of The Conjuring and the Annabelle films, which honestly, don't waste your time with them. They were not good. I didn't think they were. They were bad. The first Conjuring I thought was enjoyable, but... The real Annabelle is actually a Raggedy Ann doll. Oh. Yeah, it's actually like a very, it's like a large Raggedy Ann doll, which honestly, when I was a kid, I used to watch the VHS tapes of like Raggedy Ann and Andy and their adventures. Yep. So I, I loved that. Um, uh, right, the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll that, while much less sinister in appearance, made quite a name for itself in the 1970s, which if you've seen The Conjuring, you have an idea of the backstory. It was pretty accurate. Annabelle was given to a nursing student, Donna, by her mother. Donna and her roommate, Angie, would often return home to discover that the doll had changed positions and or moved rooms. They'd also find, excuse me, handwritten notes scrawled onto parchment paper asking for help. In their book, Paranormal Investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren indicate that the behavior went on for nearly a year before they became involved. How do you wait that long? How do you wait that long with a haunted doll? Um... And ultimately took Annabelle into their care. In late 2020, rumors began to circulate that Annabelle had escaped the Warren's occult museum, a panic that was eventually uh, assuaged when the Warren's son posted a picture of Annabelle safely in her case. Wasn't that based on a true story? What? The Annabelle series. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. That's literally what I was talking about. Ed and Lorraine Warren are real people. Oh, they're real people. Yeah. Okay. They have an actual haunted occult museum. Oh. Okay, and see, Annabelle is actually locked in a case. I only knew them from the movie. That's, yeah, here's that's, a picture of her. That's their name in the... Oh, yeah, I've seen she that. She is mm-hmm. uh, blessed by a priest regularly. I think I watched a BuzzFeed Unsolved thing where the two guys visited that museum. That's mm-hmm. right. That's, yeah, those are real it. people. But, yeah, I only knew Ed and Lorraine Warren from the movie because that's yeah. their names in the movie. Mm-hmm. And actors portray them. But I didn't... And it says, based on a true story, I didn't know how much of it was yeah. true. It's actually very, very close. All right. Yeah. 
um, Okiku. As the story goes, Okiku was purchased by a young man sometime around 1918 in Japan as a gift for his younger sister. Tragically, after a year, the little girl passed away from a severe case of the flu. The family created a shrine in her memory, placing the large doll on display. Sometime later, they noticed the doll's hair, which had originally been cut into a short bob, had grown past its shoulders. When the family moved in 1938, they entrusted the doll to the care of the Menenji Temple in Hokkaido, where caretakers continue to maintain Okiko and her ever-growing hair. It's still growing. Yeah. What the fuck? Weird. Uh Uh-uh. Lily... Now residing at Zach Baggins, piece of shit, of Ghost Adventures Haunted Museum, Lily was made during the 1800s in Germany and features real human hair. According to the museum's Facebook post, she was discovered by an antique dealer who took her home but began having recurring nightmares about a little girl who had a very bad accident. She was subsequently put up for sale at the antique shop. On one occasion, a customer's little girl spoke to the doll for three hours, interacting with her like a fellow child. She informed the proprietor that Lily was a little girl that had been um, subjected to extreme violence. When uh, when first encountering the doll, Baggins reported that he felt an immense energy rating from the figurine. Whatever that means. Zach Baggins. Robert the Doll. He's creepy. Robert came to the Otto family of Key West, Florida in the early 1900s as a gift to their youngest son, Robert Eugene Otto. The boy and doll became inseparable, with the child often laying blame for his misdeeds on the doll. The family alleged that the doll, the toy often seemed to change positions of its own accord. Mm-hmm. They also claimed that when their son was alone in his room, they could hear him conversing with the doll and the doll responding in a completely different voice. After Eugene's death in 1974, Robert was given to the East Martello Museum. Visitors who have taken his picture without permission claim to have experienced terrible misfortune as a result of their transgressions. Robert is surrounded by letters of apology and admiration. So this is funny. I actually did look into Robert years prior, and you actually have to ask the doll for permission. There are signs around the doll that say that you have to ask permission to take his picture. And people who haven't come back and write letters that are like, I'm sorry, I took your picture. You know, please don't cause any more misfortune for me. Jeez. Mm -hmm. Ruby. Ruby is a porcelain doll with a penchant for moving around from place to place. Currently residing within the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, she comes from mysterious origins. Her previous owner said she had originally belonged to a little girl in the family who died while holding the toy. Mm. Following that tragedy, she was passed down through generations until coming to her current residence at the museum. Visitors often report experiencing an overwhelming feeling of sorrow radiating from her. Letta. Short for Letta Me Out. (laughs) Letta is a 200-year-old wooden doll with human hair. He was discovered beneath a house in Wagga Wagga, Australia. Love that that's a place. By his current caretaker, Carrie Walton. Walton told the Warwick Daily News, I reckon he walks in the nighttime. We came in here as a new house, and I've never heard so many strange things in my life. He's found scuff marks on the floor of his home, as well as objects mysteriously shifted. Walton has brought Letta with him to multiple television interviews and has started an Instagram page dedicated to the doll. Hmm. Isn't that creepy? The last thing I was going to talk about, uh, the island of dolls or the island of dead dolls. I think, isn't that, is that where the shrine is? Where that, uh, uh, the Annabelle is? Annabelle? No. Annabelle's in the United States. Oh, Okay. All right, I'm getting these two confused. You are now. getting these very confused. Yeah, because I think, okay, the the BuzzFeed Unsolved guys, I think they went to this island. Because I remember that, or maybe they went to both. Continue. Anyways, it's an island covered with decaying old dolls mm-hmm. strung up in trees. Mm-hmm. Isn't that creepy? It's in Mexico. What's it called? Uh, if you literally type in the island of dead dolls, it'll come up. Oh. I want to visit it. Okay. Oh, it's in Mexico City. <laughs> um, basically, the Island of Dolls is this intimately entwined with the story of uh, Don 
he's got a very long name, Don Julian Santana Barrera. Mm-hmm. Um, Don left his wife and family sometime in the mid 20th century to sequester himself on an island on, I don't know how to say this, Lake um, uh, T-E-S-H-U-I-L-O. T-E-S-H-U-I-L-O? Mm-hmm. Tesuilo? Tesuilo? Something like that. Um, his reasons for doing so are hazy at best, but as soon became clear. Santana was not necessarily of sound mind. Not after long after relocating, he made a chilling discovery on the shores of his island. The body of a young girl drowned in the lake. A doll came floating down the canals shortly afterwards, changing the course of Santana's life and the shape of the island for years to come. Alone on the island, Barrera took the doll and hung it from a tree in order to appease the spirit of the deceased girl. Hmm. But at least in the eyes of the man who now considered himself the island's caretaker, the one doll was not enough. For the next 50 years, Santana would scrounge dolls from the trash and from the canals and hang them from the island's many trees. Some he'd hang whole, others in various states of disrepair, headless, torso-less, and taken apart in other ways. The reality of the little girl who died. Many people, including Don Julian's own family, didn't believe that he ever found the girl. Although, whether they believe he made it up imagine, or imagined the experience or was somehow mistaken is unclear. What is clear is that whether the girl existed or not, Don devoted the rest of his life to her. And perhaps creepiest of all, even the end of his life had clear ties to the story of the drowned child. In 2001, he passed away. His body was discovered drowned in the canal. In the exact place, he always said he'd seen the little girl. Mm. In response, tourists began flocking to the island to pay tribute. They brought dolls of their own. And to this day, people honor him and the girl, whether she was real or not, by hanging up dolls in tribute. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? I want to see it. But there are people who have gone to this island. I, you said you saw the BuzzFeed guys yeah. or whatever. And they've said, they've gone at night, that they've had extremely, you know, bad vibes, sounds in the night that didn't seem, you know, like they made sense, dolls moving, very haunted experiences. Creepy. Is it weird that I I want to go to that island, but I don't want to purchase a doll, like, for my home? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think that going to the island would be probably better, but if you, you would have to get, like, blessed by a priest or something before and after. Not a bad idea. I think for safety purposes. But then I I want to play with a Ouija board. Yeah, you're dumb for that. I love you, but you're dumb. I don't know. Seems cool. Mm-mm. That's just inviting risk. I mean, you could just talk to a chill ghost. It doesn't need to be one that But you don't know what you're inviting. Yeah, that's true. The whole point of the Ouija board, you would need someone guiding you, essentially. Yeah. You would need, like, a spiritual person. You yeah, would need, like... like a pro. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're inviting. You're literally just opening a channel. Yeah. You know? It's like... I don't know how to describe it. It's like, you know, back in the old days when they had the switch operators? Hmm. It's like, you're doing that, but the switch operator is literally just a, a ghost that's like, I might connect you to a demon. <laughs> I might connect you to your great aunt. I don't know. It's a good analogy. So it's just dangerous. I feel like. Yeah, but that's part of the part of the thrill. That's dumb. You will not see me with a Ouija board ever. I don't mess with that. I wonder where Eric's is. I bought it for him, but I don't think he ever used it. He's Good. Probably, he's probably Eric's smart. smart. Yeah. I'll fuck with that. Hmm. What'd you think of the beer? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just because it was so different mm-hmm. and unique and interesting, and it just it wasn't. I, I couldn't find anything that I disliked about it. I don't know. It's very smooth, easy to drink, and just tasty. It mm-hmm. was flavorful. It had a lot of stuff going for it. Had some oomph. Yeah, had some oomph. And I liked it. Uh, I, I think I liked it the most because it was different. Yeah, what about you? It's good. I thought it was tasty. I thought I've never had a sweet potato ale before, obviously. Never, um, never knew one existed. We got to have a fall beer during fall. So that's good. And it wasn't um, a pumpkin. It wasn't pumpkin based. Mm-hmm. It was very tasty. I, the nutmeg was very strong in the smell. Um, but I feel like the, the taste is very balanced. I think if they added a more sweet potato flavor, it'd be too much. 
You liked Party Pillow more. Yes. That was the Hefeweizen. Mm-hmm. You really like Hefeweizen? Hefeweizen was good as hell. It was delicious. Party Pillow was tasty. Yeah. I need to get more... Uh, well, they're not selling it now. I went to Ludington Bay Brewing when I was in Michigan a couple weeks ago, and they they took Summer Fling off. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not summer anymore, but I was looking forward to trying it, because um, that is one of my favorite beers, if not my favorite beer. Mm-hmm. But I get more Hefeweizens on the show. Mm-hmm. They're tasty. Good pick. Thank you. Uh, Beerandfearcast.com is our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, TikTok. All of our video episodes are public now, so feel free if you want to watch us, watch, look at our faces while we do this stuff. You watch can do me that. gesture. Mm-hmm. See the pretty cat on the couch? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can watch them on YouTube. They're all public. And we record every episode a week before it comes out. Um, just about a week before it comes out. So you can watch it live while we record with us. If you want to join in, say what up, whatever. And you get to see the episode, listen to it before it comes out. On, uh, on Wednesday, but then if you don't catch it live, the video gets released the same time as the episode does, so you'll get to watch it either way. And then beerandfearcast at gmail.com is our email if you want to send us an email, or go to our about page on our website and you can send us a message. Those poor flights. Those poor flights. They're sitting up there. Someday. Unused. We'll make our own. Mm-hmm. Our last episode. We'll say, fuck it. You know what? Fuck. Fuck y'all. Alright, we're doing our own flights. Tell them. Tell them. Maybe we'll go back and do an episode of our number one ranked beers from each segment. We'd have to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do a few episodes. Then. Yeah. Like, uh, what are they called? Like with football? With the trees? The brackets? Brackets. Yeah, we'd do like a beer and fear. The trees? Yeah, like the sideways trees. <laughs> beer and fear bracket championship number one beer. That'd mm-hmm, be dope. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Write it down. I'm the one that writes things down. Smart. Have a good day.